Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Suave. Been in my back for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some hood dreams of right rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different road change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly now- Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting this season Everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA and more You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. All righty, guys, we are back for another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast presented by BetOnline. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and we have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guest today, guys. This is somebody who I'm super, super excited about. Um, before I give her her flowers and give her her introduction, man, I just want to get some business out of the way. Um, first and foremost, if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and stop what you're doing and give us a thumbs up. Give us a good old subscription, you know what I'm saying? It goes a long way. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. I'll leave a good comment. It goes a long way. Kind of just pushing this podcast out to everybody, you know, who needs to hear. I think we're telling some wonderful stories here on the What's in Your Bag podcast. And I'm sure I don't want to miss any. So make sure you guys subscribe, like, follow, whatever it is you got to do. Um, that was my guy, Pull Up Tay, on the intro. One of the hottest up-and-coming artists out of the DMV. Make sure you guys check out his music, man. Uh, that's going to be him again on the outro, guys. And yeah, man, we are super, super, super excited uh, for this episode today. Um, we have an absolute, you know, pioneer in her space. And the you know, one thing that I'm super grateful about, you know, about this platform is that, you know, we don't just stick to basketball players on here. Um, we try to have mm-hmm. artists, creatives. And um, this is somebody who is doing wonderful, wonderful things. We're going to get to a lot of that stuff in the podcast. But, um, you know, she graduated from Yale is now playing professional women's ho- ice hockey um, for the Toronto Six. And uh, she's somebody who is just super amazing. I'm super excited to have you, have you guys meet her. Um, we are pleased to be joined by Soria Tinker. So Soria, th- thanks for coming on with us today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Um, as you guys know, man, we've had Michelle Lozzi on here. We had Trey Field. So you know, it's only right we get another Yaley on here, somebody who shared those. <laughs> You know, Hamden, New Haven, stomping grounds with myself. So we'll definitely reflect on a little bit of, you know, New Haven stuff, you know, get some good uh, pizza recommendations for you guys. But, you know, we'll save that for later on. Um, you know, sorry. So b- before we get into the the, the nitty gritty, man, um, I kind of want to talk about your upbringing, man. I want to take it all the way back to the beginning. Um, so you were born in Oshawa, um, up and up north in Canada, our, our North American friends. Um Obviously, hockey is super, super important. It's super, super popular in Canada. But I feel like for Black people in general, you know, hockey is not, you know, the first sport that you think of uh, when, when when it comes to Black people, you know. So how did you first get introduced to hockey? Um, talk to me about your, your upbringing in, in Oshawa and just, you know, what kind of first inspired you to even give hockey a look in the first place? 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, growing up in Oshawa and obviously in Canada, hockey's our national sport and uh, you're basically born with skates on, everybody says. So um, in that sense, my dad, uh, his family immigrated to Canada from Jamaica um, and he grew up in Scarborough, Ontario, which is a huge historic hockey town just outside uh, or just within the GTA here in Toronto. Um, and with that, my dad grew up loving playing like roller hockey, ball hockey, um, whatever he could. He played ice hockey, um, never really played at a high level, but really just re like just love the game. So um, he wanted to put his kids in it. And that's how I got started. So I started skating probably around the age of two or three um, and then was playing hockey by six or seven. So um, in that sense, I got into it through my dad. Um, my parents are both pretty athletic. My dad ran track in high school, played hockey, um, and my mom played pretty high level lacrosse. So um, in, in that sense, my my parents wanted me to play and I was a good big defenseman out there. So I stuck with it. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Um... So I was listening to one of your interviews, man, and you mentioned that when you first started playing hockey when you were young, you didn't realize that, like, oh, wow, I'm a black girl playing hockey until I until you were, like, 12. So my question is, like, like talk me through that. Like, when you were out there, you know, did you just not, like, was it just because of the innocence of, like, you being young that you were just kind of out there, you know, for the love of the game playing hockey and you really weren't really worried about what was around you? Kind of like, um, yeah, just talk me through that because I'm like, I feel like at pretty early as you'd be like, hmm, Ain't too many people out here look like me, you know. So, like, what what was kind of I guess those early years like when you were playing and kind of just I guess not really realizing, you know, the magnitude of like, hmm, it's not that many people out here that that kind of look like me out here right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the first thing in hockey is that you're a girl playing. Um, so I started out in the Oshawa Church League with the boys, and I was one of two girls that played in the entire league. So, I mean, I just assumed that the guys treated me differently because I was a girl out there. Obviously, it's a contact sport um, and whatnot. But when I switched to girls, I very, very quickly realized that I was a black girl in the sport. Um, and my it was one of my first years um, playing higher competitive girls hockey. Um, and that was the first time I was ever called the N-word by uh, my own teammates. So in that sense, I think that was when I really realized that, like, wow, they do see me differently. Um, but I think that at first I didn't really take into account my blackness just because it was, oh, you're a girl playing hockey. Um, I didn't know girls played hockey. So I think that that's what I assumed and started out with. But I very, very quickly realized that I was viewed differently because of the color of my skin. Yeah. So when that happened and, you know, a teammate of yours calls you a, a stupid N-word, like as a 12-year-old girl, like how did you process that? Like how were you able to continue playing because a lot of people you hear you hear that and you like nah like I'm I'm, I'm out of here like I'm, I'm done with this you know so um at such a young age like how were you able to process that how were you able to deal with that and then like did you stay on the team like did you did this girl get any rep reparations like or not reparations was she reprimanded it in any way for that like yeah. what came from that because that's obviously insane to say yeah, no, I think I think that that was the main issue with it, that there was no accountability. But at the same time, it was something that my dad and I had a conversation about. And it was more so just continue to play, prove them wrong, um, prove that you're good enough to be here and it'll be OK. Um, but again, I think it it like led me to have some sort of anger in my heart just because I, I realized that I didn't quite fit in with them um, and I didn't know 
who felt this way about me and who didn't. Um, and uh, I mean, in that sense, it was it was difficult just being and being in the arena and walking around in the arena every day, um, just knowing that people saw my family uh, differently than they viewed their own. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, like, you know, going through that, you know, as a kid, right? Like, um, how would you say, did, how would you say, do you think it, like, affected your game anyway? Did you think you were still able to kind of have fun with the game? Or do you think is that when, when you know, when that happened, did it kind of change from, all right, like, you know, just, just a, a game I have fun with to, like, oh, snap, like, this is something that is, is, is a little bit bigger than what I may have thought when I got myself into this? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it led me to play pretty angry, but it also made me super competitive. So I just wanted to prove them wrong. But again, I, I felt like I always had something to prove. Um, and I mean, of course, it's it's sport. We're always competitive and we always want to win. Um, but I felt like I had more to prove to my coaches or the people who were picking the teams um, simply because of the color of my skin. Um, and I didn't know if I wouldn't be picked for the team because of the color of my skin or because of my lack of skill or what it may be. So um, in, in that sense, I think it was difficult to play still, but the competitiveness in me just allowed me to push through and, and want to prove them wrong um, and just kind of throw that into my game rather than, than quit. Yeah. Now I got to, before we get on to, to Yale and everything, I got to ask you this, man, because I read something that said in high school, you played like eight different sports you were the team MVP of four different sports. First of all, how did you even make four, I mean, eight sports work during the course of one high school year? <laughs> and then number two, you was clearly nice at a bunch of sports since you were team MVP at like four things. So like, what made you, I guess, stick with hockey? Did you ever like, hey, you know, I was MVP of the basketball team or a soccer team, maybe I can go play soccer or basketball or something like that in college. You did a bunch of track, you know, sports as well. Like, you know, kind of what made you choose hockey and then, Clearly, you like you 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 were great at, at a lot of things. So tell me about, about that. You know what I'm saying? Playing so many different sports and excelling at so many different sports at a young age. Yeah, I mean, I love just the competitive nature of everything. So um, I wanted to try every sport I I played. I started out in gymnastics and dance, and then proceeded to play hockey and soccer and basketball. Um, and in high school, I mean, I, I made it work just because I thought it was fun to play everything and be active. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that my competitiveness is just what really made me want to play every sport. Um, but I chose hockey because hockey recruiting starts super early and young. Um, and I definitely love soccer and basketball just as much as I loved hockey, if not more, to be honest. Um, but I was invited to the U18 national uh, tryout camp with Team Canada. Um, so I figured why not uh, choose hockey. And then I realized it was an opportunity for me to uh, to attend an Ivy League school um, playing hockey as well. So I figured that hockey was the best path to take. Um, and so that's what we did. <laughs> was your hockey coach mad that you were playing all the other sports? Like, could you focus on hockey or were they were they, were they cool with it? Yeah, no, they were cool with it. I think they, uh, I mean, at one point I was recruited to be on the curling team. Um, so, I mean, I think I was just down to try whatever um, and master the skill of whatever I was trying for. <laughs> Love that for you, man. My high school coach was the exact opposite. We were playing basketball, and then this guy got the head coaching job uh, on the track program, made all the basketball players run track to stay in shape for basketball, but <laughs> not realizing that spring, 
is when AAU, you got all your tournaments. So of course we're missing uh we're missing the track meets on the weekends because we're playing AAU tournaments going to the hoop group <laughs> for all the hoopers on here. You got the hoop group, you know, pit jam fest that's in the spring. And this man yeah. has on us like come to my track meets, da da da. Like dude, <laughs> this is I'm a basketball player. I'm I'm, I'm playing basketball. This, you got to yeah. do one sport. So I'm like, wow, <laughs> man, you know, I'm, I'm I'm envious of you, man, for having the freedom to, to try so many things. So just to say that was where my track career started. And ended, you know, it was very short lived. <laughs> um, man, but uh, I wanted to ask you obviously. So, in, in 2016, uh, you became the first hockey player, men's or women's, you know, the first black hockey player in the history of, of, of Yale's program. So, I wanted to ask you obviously, going through the recruiting process, like, were you aware that there had been no other uh black people on the hockey team, or was that something that you became aware of, like, once you stepped foot on campus? Then, if you were aware, like, you know, what about I guess the prospects of that made you comfortable with going in there, knowing that you won't have any teammates. There had never been anybody that had played there that was that had been through, you know, what you had been through and stuff like that. Like, told me to do that that whole process. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the idea of going to Yale really excited me. And I didn't realize going in that I was the first Black player to ever play Yale hockey. Um, and in that sense, I, I think that's a little ignorant on my part. But at the same time, I think that I learned a lot while I was at Yale. Um, and uh, and I mean, I just think that it was it was important for me to realize that I was the first one just because I've been able to educate myself on whether it's like the Yale whale, the arena uh, where black Panther parties would um, have, have their meetings or um, my like secret society house would house black Panthers um, in the nursery uh, while they stayed on campus and protested and whatnot. So um, it's like little things like that, that made me uh, realize the importance of being black at Yale and playing Yale hockey um, and just like paving a way for, for other girls behind me. Um, and I was able to my senior year play with Kirsten Good, uh, which was super cool and amazing to see. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I hope it, we just are able to pay it, pay, pay the way and, uh, and make sure that other black girls can play at Yale. Yep. So I guess the coaches didn't include that in their recruiting pitch that, hey, you know, <laughs> tried to do this before, but you know, I guess they left that part out, huh? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> you wish they would have told you? Like, is that something you wish you would have known going into it? Would that have maybe like, you know, changed the way you thought about it? Um, I don't think so. Just because I, I, I realized that in hockey, um, I was usually the only or the first or whatever it may be. So it wasn't really a concern or a thought of mine, to be honest. Um, you're, you're used to being the only black player in the room or, uh, whatnot on your team. So it was just like, what team do I want to be on? What campus feels like home? Um, and that was Yale. No, I think it's interesting because you said, you know, you felt that home at campus and you, I mean, you felt that home at Yale while you were on campus or, you know, when you were on the visit and stuff. But, you know, you had mentioned previously that, you know, your freshman year, like you didn't feel like you were being included on the team. Uh, was a lot of things that just, you know, you weren't comfortable with you and you even contemplated transferring. So talk about some of the experiences that you went through that made you feel this way. And like, you know, what about those experience, experiences made it so difficult to overcome in that time to where you thought like, dang, like this might not be for me. Yeah, well, I think first off, it was just being away from home. Um, that was my first time ever being away. Um, small town Oshawa girl. 
Um, and I mean, I think in that sense, I didn't think that I deserved to be at Yale or was smart enough to be there. So um, I think that was the first thing was being homesick and then not feeling like I was good enough to be a student at Yale. Um, and then, I mean, I think in, in regards to the team, I think I just, there was just a, a lot of ignorance um, in comments made. Um, and I, I mean, I think, I, I think it's just difficult sometimes to hear those things and have to internalize them. Uh, so it, it was difficult, but at the same time, I think Yale gave me the opportunity to look for friendships elsewhere. And that was like Michelle Alozzi and um, Ariel on the soccer team. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's amazing in that sense to be able to uh, reach out in other communities. But at the same time, Yale hockey wasn't necessarily the most inclusive space um, for, for anyone for that matter. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a perfect kind of segue. First of all, shout out to Ariel and Meech. You know, both of you guys are awesome. I met, I met both of those wonderful ladies while they were uh, at Yale. So definitely shout out to, to you guys. If you guys are watching this, hope you guys are. Um, <laughs> but so and this is one thing that, that Meech had, met, had mentioned as well. And she said that kind of during her time at Yale, right? One of the things that she struggled with was the idea that a lot of times on campus, um, one, if you're an athlete, but number two, if you're a black athlete, people kind of, uh, in more or less words, will treat you as if like, oh, you only got into Yale because you're an athlete, like not because you actually could get in here, you know, because you're smart or, um, and it kind of, I guess, it made it hard to kind of assimilate, you know, into the into the culture, you know, being a black athlete at Yale, especially, you know, for example, me coming from LA all the way across the world or the country, yeah. coming from Canada, like, um, just talk about what your experiences was like on campus at Yale, trying to navigate that space um, at not only a you know, PWI, but an Ivy League institution as well, um, and navigating that space as a Black athlete. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with with Meech on that point. Um, being a Black athlete at, at Yale, I think you do kind of get looked at away just because you are seen as an athlete um, and not necessarily a student as well. But uh, but at the same time, I think my my experience at Yale, aside from hockey and in the other communities at Yale, was great. Um, I learned so much and got to meet so many amazing people in, in that regard. And I mean, I met my my friends like Meech and Ariel. Like if I only kept my team and stuck in that one um, area of campus and and only did the things that they did, I wouldn't have gotten to meet amazing people like that. So I think that's one thing that being at Yale has taught me is to just reach into different communities network with different people um, and get to know other communities that make you uncomfortable or um, that get you to answer uncomfortable questions or have uncomfortable debates or whatever it may be. Um, just like be uncomfortable in those spaces and you'll learn so much more. Um, but yeah, I think I think being a Black athlete at Yale can come with its difficulties, but at the same time, we have a strong Black athlete community at Yale as well, um, where we all know each other and um, can, you know, bounce ideas off one another and lean on one another. So um, I think that that's important piece too, just because Yale is so small um, when you look at the grand scheme of things. So uh, we are all very close. We all know each other. And I know that um, they all have my back just as I have theirs. Yes, yes. No, that's 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 great. Um, and you know, for us folks that didn't go to the Ivy League, you know, I went to school at Quinnipiac right down the road, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I wasn't able to relate in this sense. But I wanted to ask you, like, what is the hardest part about trying to be an athlete, you know, while attending a school such as Yale? You know what I'm saying? Like, do you think you kind of got the hang of just balancing the academics and the the athletic part of it, you know, pretty early? Or like, you know, what was that whole experience like? Um, 
Is it? Because I, I I feel like I've heard both sides of the coin. I got a shout out to my ADP, Marquise Peggs as well. He's on the football team. And I would yeah. talk to him sometimes about it. Um, Jordan Bruner is another one of my guys that I talk to a lot about. And they're like, I mean, Yale honestly wasn't that hard as far as the school is. <laughs> like, the hardest part is like getting in. And then once you're there, it's like the work is just the work. But I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what do you think your experience was like as far as trying to balance, you know, athletics um, and the, you know, academic part of, of Yale? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely agree with them. I mean, I think it definitely depends on your major and um, what you choose to take. But at the same time, I think getting in is the hard part, I would say. Um, at the same time, you have so much help on campus, um, so many resources that won't even allow you to fail. So um, there's that positive piece of it. Um, but but yeah, I think, I think Yale and the academic and the student athlete piece kind of just go hand in hand. And once you're, once you reach that level, I think it's just like second nature to you. Um, so I think I get that question a lot is like, how do you balance that? Or how is that time management? It's just like, you just do it. <laughs> um, as, as crazy as that sounds, like it is a lot at times. And it's like, oh, I have this test and this essay and this whatever to study for. Um, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, you like the athlete in you just gets it done. <laughs> hey, period. Got to get it done by any means. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're going to come back to some Yale, New Haven stuff a little bit later. But um, I, I, I want to pivot a little bit to something that, you know, I feel like you've mentioned a lot, you know, even just already in your interview today, and this this idea of like you were you know playing mad and playing angry, um, mm -hmm. do you feel like that came from you like the way you were being treated just as a you know as a black woman in hockey? Do you think that was maybe from just like you mentioned earlier trying to prove yourself and always having that chip on your shoulder? Um, do you think it stemmed from something else? Like, and then the second part of that question is, at what point did you feel like you were able to kind of free yourself from that like anger, you know, and and kind of just play free um, with the game of hockey? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of all of those things. Um, I think it's just the frustration of not being able to be 100% myself, um, feel like I don't belong or I'm unappreciated in, in the space. Um, but at the same time, I, I think I've been able to overcome it recently, um, probably since graduating or, you know, as leaning into it that senior year with Kirsten. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's just turned to empowerment more so. And I just want to see so many more black women play hockey, get into the sport, um, play at a high level, whether that's professionally on the national team level or or in college. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's recently changed in my professional career just because I know that if I'm going to play pro, I have to be that piece of representation. And that's the most important piece for me now. The, the girls behind me are my purpose in playing. Um, and that's really what keeps me going. Uh, so it's it's empowerment now uh, rather than anger. <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, do you feel like there was a specific moment like where it changed? If there was something that you feel like you can think back on that was like, I feel like, you know, this was the, I guess, the event or the thing that allowed me to kind of just move past it, um, if there was. And if there was, you know, can you kind of elaborate on, like, what what it was that allowed you to kind of just move on from that from that space? Yeah, I think it was my my senior year when I was deciding whether I was going to put my name in the, into the draft. Um, it was, I mean, my last couple games uh at Yale I was I was struggling a little bit so Kirsten was sitting beside me in the dressing room helping me out and whatnot um 
And I, I think at that moment, it was just like, why am I going to play? If I'm going to play still, you have to have some sort of purpose because you can't play this angry anymore. It's just like not mentally healthy for me. Um, so in, in that moment, I think I just had to uh, have that switch and be like, why are you playing? You have to play for a different purpose. And the purpose was for Kirsten and then all of the girls that follow and all of the girls that I get to mentor to this day. I feel like it's 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 unfortunate, man, because I feel like when you think about just the things that African-American athletes in general have to go through, um, you know, when playing sports or not even only athletes, African-Americans that are minorities in any spaces. If you're talking about even in, in tech uh, or, you know, in, in corporate America, like there are a lot of mental and psychological burdens that kind of come with, you know, being a, a pioneer in, in any of these spaces that are very taxing, you know, and I feel like you know, it, it's sad to me because it, it takes away from from the experience of what it is that you're doing. And I feel like, you know, the reality is you know, a lot of white athletes don't have to go through those things like playing angry and just kind of just go through it with like uh, without a care in the world. At, at the end of the day, like, you know, they're not worried about being called a stupid N-word, you know, at the age of 12 and stuff like that. Yeah. How do you feel like, I guess, just having to play so long with that burden and that weight on your shoulders, you know, affected your relationship with the game of hockey you know and did it make you ever you know question I guess your love for the game or if you want to I guess how you viewed the game like just you know how how did I guess just those emotions that you were feeling you know affect your relationship with the game of hockey that you you know grew up playing with since you were you know six years old or like you said you you come out the moon with skates right like this is a game that you were born into you know um yeah when you first start playing it's like this is not something that you think of is going to come with it, right? We all play our sport. Whatever sport you play, you're playing for the love of the game, you know? And at some point, even in basketball, it's like, I was talking about this, we were talking about this with, with Jordan Bruner last year when we played in Portugal together. And we were like, dang, man, like, this is really, this is really a business. This isn't really what I signed up for. Like, it's so much stuff that comes with the sport, right? And just listening to you talking, you know, all these experiences, like, you know, that that kid that came out, you know, in, in Oshawa as a, as a child, that first put on the skates, didn't sign up for all the things that ensued what the rest of your hockey career, you know? So just how did all yeah. those things affect your relationship with the game of hockey? Yeah. I mean, I think my, my love for the game still wavers to this day. Um, there's days where I wake up and I really wonder why I'm still lacing up my skates when I could be doing something else that I enjoy doing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's what makes you compete. Um, you still get to go out there and practice every day. I think that that's the thrill of it. So, I mean, when I say or talk about the love of the game, I don't necessarily would, I wouldn't necessarily say I love the game still. I love the, the competition of it and the level of competition, you know, just, um, obviously I'm at a professional level now. Um, I'm not just going to go play professional soccer. Um, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So it's, it's the competitive level that I'm at that I enjoy. Um, it's what keeps me working out. It's what keeps me making sure that I'm good and fit and, um, at the level of play that I have to be at. So I think it's just the competitiveness of it that, that allows me to have love for the game. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think I fully, fully love the game of hockey anymore. It wavers all the time. <laughs> yeah, man, I think I think that's real. And um, kind of a quick follow up to that, you know, before I kind of pivot to your wonderful mentorship program that you're doing is. I feel like as a professional athlete, right, like 
it's crazy to think that like some uh, people I, I feel like people will hear that and be like <gasps> you don't love hockey like what do you mean you know and i feel like yeah. there are there are there are moments in every sport i'm sure if you ask lebron james there's moments that he don't love basketball you know what i'm saying based on things that are going on on the court or off the court and things like that i want to ask you like do you feel like now right you you have all these I guess the reasons that you're playing, right? And these purposes that, that, that you're playing hockey for outside of yourself, do you feel like, you know, that's more of a driving force as far as like why you continue to play? Um, and if so, I feel like that could also be a burden, you know, on your shoulders because like you don't want to feel like, all right, you know, I got to keep doing this sport because, you know, I got to be this, you know, pioneer and, and figurehead for black girls in hockey because that can take a mental toll on yourself if you feel like it's not truly giving you purpose, you know, making you happy at the end of the day. So like, how do you kind of balance those two things? Like, all right, on the one hand, you know, I do have a a responsibility to kind of be a leader and be a role model for these girls that are looking behind me. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I got to do what's best for Sorority Tinker. And if this game is not making me happy and, and serving me, then I have to kind of make the decision for myself to kind of go in another direction. Yeah, no, I mean, with that question, I think you hit exactly what I think about every day. Um, I, I'm, I mean, as much as I want to do it for the next generation, I think that it is important for me to be able to balance that. And if I'm being completely honest, I don't always have that balance. Um, and when I don't have that balance, that's when my mental health plummets. And that's when I don't, that's when I can't be the leader that I want to be. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's more directed towards like my my self-care and knowing how to balance both just because it is difficult and I do wake up sometimes and wonder what I'm doing just because it's so hard some days to wake up and be in front of a camera or um, go to practice or you know have a meeting with one of my mentees um, and at the same time if I'm not mentally stable and mentally well then I can't help them um, so as much of I mean I would I de it's definitely not a burden by any means um I do enjoy what I do but there are definitely days and weeks where um I'm not 100% myself and can't give to both sides of what I'm doing um and that's that's on me I gotta learn how to balance it <laughs> now um I know that I know that you are a wonderful painter and that's a, one of the ways that you have been able to express yourself um I've seen a lot of your artwork and it's 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 amazing um, I'm gonna get to that in a little bit though, because I, I do want I have a whole series of questions about that. But you know, what are some of the things that you do to kind of maintain your self-care today, right? When you feel like your mental health is wavering, like, you know, what are some things, you know, for anybody who's listening to this and is also going through some mental health things, they're struggling with trying to balance ups and downs of everyday life and sport. Um, what are some things, you know, that you do on a, you know, from a self-care standpoint that kind of help you stay, you know, stay sane and, and stay, you know, in the best mental space that that you can be in? Yeah, I mean, for for me, I know words of affirmation are huge. So, I mean, I know I might sound crazy sometimes, but I do talk to myself, whether it's in, in the car on the way to practice or um, on the ice or whatever it may be in the kitchen. <laughs> um, it, so, I mean, I think words of affirmation are huge. Um, and then, like you said, I think finding what you what gives you that release. So for me, it's painting um, or I mean, sometimes I like to read uh, like self-help books and stuff like like that that'll kind of like pump me up I get to 
study them kind of highlight things um but at the same time I think it's it's about finding what works for you so I've tried so many things um I mean whether it's like white noise to get to sleep uh journaling is another huge one I know that when I was 15 I thought that journaling those types of things were just silly and like totally stupid but um now I do it and they actually help <laughs> so <laughs> I mean I, I think that there's so many ways that we can help ourselves but um mine are, are definitely words of affirmation um and painting <laughs> yeah that's wonderful um so I mean maybe we'll get right into it then so I've I mean you you talked a lot about your you know your your paintings on, on your Instagram and about how you're trying to you know like promote body positivity and you know loving your body and embracing your body and things like that and um you could have a you could have a, a career as an artist if you wanted to because you you you, you <laughs> like you like that with the brush for sure. Um, but I wanted to ask, man, because I feel like right as an athlete, right, people always think, oh, athletes are are in the best shape, you know. And athletes, you guys look amazing. You guys love your bodies and things like that. So, like for you, number one, what was that? I guess kind of mental battle for you, like because then you're like, yo, I need to put this into a you know a, a painting to kind of express what I'm truly feeling. Number one, like I guess what was that battle like for you? Like, all right, well, you know. I guess it's a perception of how I'm supposed to feel about my body. Right? I guess I'm, yeah. I'm not really what it is for me. Um, and then number two, like, how did you kind of get into painting? Was that something that you always, you know, had with you? Or like, you know, like just told me you know, about, about, about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess also growing up, I, I would always go to like arts and crafts classes with my mom. Um, my mom is like, my mom's really good at art too. She definitely wouldn't say she is, but she is, she's very good at art. Um, she can paint, she can draw, she can do all the things. Um, so, I mean, I think that I started out by loving arts and crafts as much as I love sport. Um, and I mean, throughout high school, I always had art as like my side class, um, or whatever it may be, but I just never really fully pursued it. And then during COVID, uh, we got sent home from Yale 2020, uh, from spring break and told not to return to campus because of COVID. Um, and right then, I mean, I had to finish my senior year classes, but there was no senior year, senior spring fun to be had. So, um, my fun was just sitting in my room, kind of like reflecting on myself and like my career and everything that had gone on at Yale, everything. Um, so I started painting. And that's really where um, that came from. So I know that I've always struggled with my body image and how I look and how my body fluctuates in and out of hockey season. Um, it's it's been a, it's just a frustration for me, um, whether it's the my eating disorder that I struggle with or um, just like body positivity in itself. So I figured, why not put it on canvas? I mean, even if I did mess up it's not really like messing up because I mean, everybody's body's different. So, I mean, that's really where, where that comes from. Um, and I just use painting as a release for me, uh, in every sense. So, uh, it helps me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, do you ever have any thoughts of like, you know, I guess, like I, I actually, before I ask, do you, do you sell your paintings or those kind of just things that like you just keep for yourself? Like, yeah, yeah, I do. I do sell them. So I have like a website and I sell uh, canvas prints, um, like oil on canvas, um, canvas prints, paper prints, uh, and I ship them out all across North America. Nice. So what is that bit like having your own like business literally as a as an artist? You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's awesome <laughs> to have that as a just a, a side hustle almost as a as a, you know, when you combine that with everything that that you're doing, like I think I think it's just so amazing that like, you know, you're able to express yourself in that way. I think that 
at the end of the day, even being an athlete, like you're an artist, at the end of the day, every time you go on the ice, you have to craft, mm -hmm. you know, a picture, right? And, you know, the way you skate and how you're going to attack, you know, the, the defense is all a, a art. <laughs> and like, and Kyrie Irving talked about it in basketball a lot of time, like, you know, basketball is art, sports is art. And, but you've taken that even a step further and you're actually a real artist. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so just talk about that, man. Like, what what is that? You know, how, how's that been for you? Um, do you feel like, you know, expanding upon that, like down the line, like, you know, what's, what's all that, you know, like for you? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that I consider myself an artist really. I mean, obviously I, I sell my paintings and whatever, but um, it's, it was honestly just something that like I was doing and it was like, Hey, can I buy this? Um, and uh, I mean, right from there, I was like, okay, like, let's make this a business just because that's the way I am. I have to do everything to the max capacity that it can be done. Um, so I had no other choice um, but to make myself a little painting business. So um, I definitely do think about pursuing my artwork. And I hope I do actually like have the time one day, um, just because I mean, a lot of my painting is like late night, like I'll stay up until like 3am and just finish a painting like 4.30am finish painting like um, and I cannot do that while I'm in season. So um, I tend to do that more so in the summer and, and whatnot. So it's not like a consistent stream of income for me or anything like that. But it is a small business and I enjoy selling them and, you know, making them for people when people ask for commissions and whatnot. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what message would you have, you know, for another athlete out there that may be going through the same thing, right? Like, I guess, you know, trying to keep up with this, you know, expectation that you have to always be in shape if you're an athlete or, you know, that you're supposed to look a certain way if you're an athlete, right? Like, um, if there's somebody else out there that's, you know, struggling with, you know, body image and things like that, like, what, what message would you have to those people out there? Yeah, I mean, I think especially as an athlete, like you're going to see your body fluctuate. It's just the way of the game. It's the way of sport, um, especially as a woman, whether you're 18 or 25, your body just changes. And um, as as difficult as that heart as that may be to accept sometimes, um, I think it's just so important to, to love yourself for who you are. Um, and I mean, you can always do as many workouts or be on as many diets as you want to be on. But um, I promise you, even when you have the body that you you want um it still is not the thing that makes you happy um so i mean i think that we should love ourselves for who we are and uh every body should be appreciated <laughs> that's a gem that's a gem um so kind of change it up a little bit um you have your own mentorship program you know so warrior strong that's kind of in partnership with um you know black girls hockey club talk to me mm -hmm. about well, number one i guess how that was how that was born and then number two, you know, how does it feel for you to be kind of that role model that you didn't necessarily have growing up to really provide somebody with, you know, a face and a you know a mentorship opportunity of somebody who's there that's doing it that, that they can talk to and speak to and look to and point to like because um, I think that's very valuable to kind of, you know, be what you didn't have like growing up, you know, so like just talk to me about, you know, the work that you're doing with your mentorship club and then, you know, what that means to you. 
Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I spoke about it a little bit earlier, but Kirsten Good um, was really what got me started with my mentorship program. So, I mean, I realized that I was kind of like a big sister to her as soon as she stepped on campus. And I mean, um, she was definitely there for me as a little sister as well. It definitely was not all me. Um, uh, she helped a girl out a lot. So um, in that sense, I just realized that it's it's so easy to impact um, young women of color that need that piece of representation in sport. Um, and I wanted to build a community of black women that loved hockey. Um, and so with Black Girl Hockey Club, Soroy Strong runs in conjunction with it. And uh, Soroy Strong is my mentorship program. So the girls have my phone number. They are able to book uh, Zoom meetings with me. Um, I have a little resource folder for them talking about NCAA recruiting information. Uh, and I mean, I, I think it's just it's one big community where these girls can network and find other Black women that love the game as much as they do. Um, and, and can also gain access to someone who's been through the um, the college realm and now is playing professionally. So whether it's me leading them through Zoom workouts or getting them a guest speaker or whatever it may be, um, they're able to access those things that they need. Um, and I hope that we continue to to grow. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, definitely <laughs> want to commend you for that, first and foremost, man, because I think... Um, it can be scary, you know, going through these type of things and not having anybody to look to for guidance or for advice. So <clears throat> I definitely want to give you your your flowers for that, you know, because um, it's amazing to be able to kind of give back, you know, in that way. Um, mm -hmm. I want to ask you, man, because I feel like so much of, of, you know, what we've talked about even up to this point on this podcast, so much of what, you know, I've read about you, so much of um, what people, I guess, know about you is like, you know, Sora Tinker, she's this, you know, figurehead for black women in hockey. And, you know, you've experienced so much growing up as far as the racism we, we spoke about on, on this podcast at a young age. Like, you know, you've talked about even the, the mental health battles that you've gone through, like with your, you know, body positivity and stuff like that. And, you know, everything like you've been through a lot, you know, throughout your life, you know, but one of the things that I know to be true in that, like, I guess as an African-American myself, it kind of gets caught up is that like, you know, we're more than just like, you know, oh, Soror Tinker, the, the the first, you know, black women's hockey player at Yale or, you know, a trailblazer in race. Like you're more than a figurehead of of of, of race, you know, in hockey, right? Like you're, uh, you're your own individual outside of all of this stuff. And I don't want that to be lost, you know, in this, in this conversation in this podcast we're just you know glorifying oh she's black doing this like you know i don't want to i don't want to be that type of 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 platform that comes had that kind of conversation on on here because we're more than than that you know yeah so when you peel all that back right like how do you want other people to view sorry tinker like who are you at your core when you strip all that away like you know who who are you at your core how do you want others to truly view you yeah, I, I mean, I hope others view me as as kind and confident. Um, I think that those are two things that go um, hand in hand, just because, I mean, I, I've met a lot of confident people, but they're not kind. And I've met a lot of kind people, but they're not confident. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think in that sense, when I've been kind and and expressed that type of confidence around my girls that I mentor um, and around other women of color that I want to empower and, and be around, um, that's that's how I, I really want people to to see me. And I hope that's what people think of me when uh, when they when they think of Soroy Tinker. <laughs> Love it kind and confident i i definitely think that 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 you exude that you know just based on the conversation that we've had already um <laughs> i think that that's you know for people listening to this i hope that you guys you know 
take that away from this as well, you know, because I feel like oftentimes just, you know, being black in America is tough. I think we're only like 12 or 13% of the population here. I'm not sure what the numbers are in, in Canada. I'm sure okay. it's probably similar, but um, I feel like even just, just being black in white spaces is hard, man. People always ask you to, you know, speak on behalf of your race or, you know, oh, how do you, how do you feel about this as a black person? Or when somebody gets, you know, killed, it's like, oh, well, I hope you're doing okay. And it's like, yo, like we're more than, you know, just black people existing in these, you know, white spaces, um, you know, as these, I guess, figureheads and things like that. Like that's not what we are. You know, we a lot of times we just want to be viewed as confident and kind and, you know, just a great person and a great individual or a great athlete, you know? So I think that that's very important. And I hope that, you know, for everybody listening to this, you guys, you know, hear that as well. Um, <laughs> you've mentioned some of your role models in, in hockey. Um, one of those being Angela James, who was the first uh, African or black woman. I keep on getting this called African-American, even though, you know, Canadian. So <laughs> 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 uh, do you, so you don't, you're not, you don't refer to yourself as African-American, correct? I mean, I do and I don't. Right. So that's weird because I, I so on my last episode, right? I had my guy Mamadou. I gotta give him a shout. He's a designer for uh Sebon, which is um a clothing mm-hmm. brand and everything like that. And he's from Guinea. And I was yeah. asking the questions, and I'm like, yeah, African American. I'm like, wait, he's not really African American, he's just African. Like <laughs> <laughs> But I guess I'm just so used to saying it. But anyways, um, you talking about Edna James being one of your own models as one of the first black women to play on the Canadian uh, women's national team. Uh, so definitely want to give her a shout out. She's also your coach, you know, now with the national team. Um, I wanted to ask you kind of, in addition to, to her, um, who are some other black women who you looked up to, or even if they're not black women, like who are some other role models that you look up to in your life kind of early on that you were able to draw inspiration from? Yeah, I mean, I my my dad's uh, sister, uh, Vanolan Clark, actually, she used to run uh, track at a high level. So I spent a lot of time with my aunt growing up. Um, we would always go shopping together, go to workout. Um, our, our, our thing was always to go get sushi. But I just always remember seeing how hard she worked. Um, she does bodybuilding and stuff now. So um, I, I did spend a lot of time with my aunt growing up. And, and she was definitely a, a role model for me in that sense and in terms of my work ethic. Um, and I mean, I, I think now, I mean, I look to Kim Davis and, and Blake Bolden, um, to, I mean, have it, get advice from, I think that those are two individuals that I'm confident in receiving advice from, and, you know, um, trying to emulate, uh, in, in that sense, just because they're, they're strong black women in the hockey space specifically. Um, but I mean, again, I think I, I think my girls, honestly, my, my mentees, they all inspire me every day. I, I learn a lot from them and, I think every time that they express a way that I can help them, um, I'm learning from them and uh, it's about what they need and it's about what I can give them. So um, I, I think in that sense, they inspire me. And and as much as they look up to me, um, I learn from them and I can look up to them in a sense as well. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so kind of change the gears a little bit, man. Like you definitely achieve a GOAT status um, when you, when you, I, I saw the, you were part of the, the future movement project with Nike, you know, when you were able yeah. to be a part of that campaign and, you know, you literally have had a billboard, you know, in New York at Penn station in LA at Staples center, you know, with your face on it. Like that is like, <laughs> that is, I can't, that's a, a out of body experience, like right there. So I wanted to ask you number one, how did the opportunity come about? And then number two, like, what does it mean to you when you saw that billboard, like in, just to be a part of that project um, in the, in the grand scheme of things. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it came about just uh, talking to to Nike, uh, Nike Toronto, and then uh, they wanted to identify shareholders of progress. Um, and they identified me as one. And I was able to take part in the future movement um, campaign. And that involved designing an Air Force One sneaker. So you're actually going to think I'm crazy, but I didn't even see my billboard in person. So oh. I had like... <laughs> So obviously, like being uh, going to school in Connecticut, we've got so many friends that work in New York. So I definitely got a few FaceTime calls with my with my face like uh, on the screen um, above them. But I actually I never got to see my billboard in person, which one of my biggest life regrets right now. Um, but for me, I let's just hope it happens again, I guess. <laughs> was it were you were you in season or something? Is that, was that why you couldn't make it down? Like, how, like was it just like scheduling you know like what, what yeah what? yeah it was I mean I was yeah I was in season and um yeah honestly I think I was just training like I I honestly just think that I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until like I realized so many people were calling me and then I had like no weekends left to just like dip out and just see a billboard and come home so I was like damn but <laughs> Well, hey, you know what? Hey, you got them pictures in the video, so they can't say they yeah, have. Yeah, they sent me. They sent me drone footage, so I've got like the drone footage of of it playing over and whatnot. And um, I know I saw I saw Anna's um when her, she went and uh, got to see hers in LA and whatnot. I saw hers on Instagram. I was jealous, but um, but yeah, no, I wish I saw my billboard, but it's okay. <laughs> right, you know what? Knowing you and and seeing the amazing work that you're doing, you're gonna have another one, so you'll be able to see that one in person for sure. Um, sure. you mentioned having the shoe like you also have the you were able to make you know a Nike Air Force One it's called the Air Force One Low FM Joy by Soria Tinker yeah ghost status ghost status <laughs> like you, you have having your own shoe with Nike like I feel like people think of Nike you got the Kobe LeBron like you feel me got their own shoe you have your own shoe like so just like again like how the opportunity come about and then number two like Dang, yo, you have your own shoes. Like, what goes through your head, like when you when you say that? I'm I'm sure you 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 rock them, like you know what I'm saying. Do you ever swag? Yeah. yeah, you know what's those? Oh, yeah, these. <laughs> you know, sorry, Tinker joints. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, so uh, they just said we were going to design um, a Black History Month sneaker through Nike ID platform. Um, so we were able to design ours and what we wanted it to look like uh, through like different colors that they had picked out for Black History Month. Um, and I mean, yellow is my favorite color. So um, yeah, the black, obviously, with Black History Month. And then I did the braided laces um, just to represent like braided hair and um, just uh, the obviously amazing things that braids stand for. So um, in that sense, I uh, I got involved with them. We designed the shoe on the platform, did the shoot really quick um, and then got things out. Like, honestly, it was, it was super quick, seemed super easy for them. Um, and then we got these amazing products. So <laughs> that's lit. How often do you, do you, how often do you wear them? Do you ever like, wait, like you, or you kind of keep them on ice? Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna keep these. Yeah, no, I've, I've only, I've only worn them, uh, like twice, I think. And then I've got, I've got another pair too, that'll like put in like a glass case one day or something in my house. <laughs> That's elite. That's elite. Hey, man, listen, not everybody can say they got their old Nike shoe. So <laughs> definitely tough. That's definitely tough. Sure. Um, so you were also a part of, you know, the the Black Ice, you know, documentary film, um, which is a film that's telling kind of the, the long history of, 
you know, black people in the, the sport of ice hockey. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, that, that was produced by, you know, LeBron James and Maverick Carter. Drake was involved, Meg Springhair. Like, um, just, well, number one, what does that documentary mean to you? And number two, um, you know, what does it mean to you to kind of be a part of that and, you know, obviously be able to work, uh, um, you know, be a part of that alongside, you know, LeBron and the Spring Hill and Drake and everybody that, that was involved in producing it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was just it was just an opportunity for us black hockey players to tell our story and and allow people to realize that we've been here from the start. Um, I think that that's exactly what Black Ice aimed to do is just show that this is just covered up history. And it's so important for this history to be spoken about because it needs our, our hockey um, community needs to be representative of our demographics here in Canada. And that's diverse. Um, so uh, it was amazing being within the film, um, getting to tell my story and, and finally feel like we are being listened to, especially with the director. Um, Hubert Davis and and making sure that we had a safe space to tell our story. And then obviously on top of it, being able to work with individuals like LeBron and, and Maverick Carter and, and having their names on the film gives it a whole nother uh, level of credibility and, um, uh, and, and reachability. So in that sense, it was amazing to be able to work on the film and, and be included in it and, and uh, be able to show everybody the real hockey histories of, of Canada and that black people always belonged in hockey. <laughs> I think that um, I kind of want to expound upon that a little bit because I feel like, especially for people in America, right? People always say, oh, black people don't play hockey. Like, that's a white people's sport. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but you just mentioned, like, you know, black people have been within hockey from the beginning, right? So um, what do you think, I guess, what do you want people to kind of learn from that? Like, do you, do you, and how do you think that, you know, we can start to change the narrative around, like, you know, black people playing the sport of hockey, you know, when it comes to, especially in America where hockey still is kind of, not as popular of a sport, especially for African-Americans. Like, what do you want people to kind of take from that? And um, I guess knowing that, yo, like, there is a place for Black people in hockey and, you know, we've been here since the beginning and, like, there is a long history of people that have played. Yeah, well, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, a Black individual invented the slap shot. So um, in that sense, we've been a huge contributor to the game of hockey, um, going all the way back to the Colored Hockey League in in Nova Scotia. And I mean, um, I I think it's just so crazy that this history has been ignored. Um, But at the same time, it's just like we've been so pushed out of the sport. Um, Obviously, some may start when they're young, but we don't see that piece of representation in sport. There's not very many Black NHL players. There's four Black women currently playing professional women's ice hockey um, and there hasn't been a lot of representation so I mean I I think for those in America uh, I mean to understand and and realize I mean I think that the sport is very exclusive there's a lot of secrecy that goes into hockey and a lot of racism in the sport and it's just it's blatant and it's obvious and there's been zero accountability Um, but at the same time black people love hockey we enjoy playing it we're good at it and uh, we deserve to be in the sport just because we've been contributing contributors to the sport from the very get as well yeah okay i say that one more time for the the, the basketball player you said black people invented the slash what's it called the slap shot slap shot okay 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 yeah. okay oh i bet bet, bet. okay yeah. now, people who aren't hockey people right see i went to quinnipiac you know which you know obviously you know you're you're a yearly so you know you might not want to admit it but you know we're we're, we're <laughs> going to we're, we're going to the hockey you know what I'm saying so I, I know what a slap shot is i've been to yeah. my share of hockey games but for the folks listening who might not know what a slap shot is, can you kind of give them the uh, the rundown of what that is? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's when you raise your stick above the ice, um, like off the ice and hit the puck um, rather than like keeping your stick on the ice and shooting it. Uh, so it's like the hardest shot you can take in hockey. Mm. Big Jim, big Jim. Hey, listen, man, see, <laughs> I'm wearing something ahead today. You know what I'm saying? Get your Googles done. Um, <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you because also like I feel like um, it's also, uh, I think, a systemic piece to why a lot of Black people don't play hockey. You know, I feel like, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, right? Um, please do. I feel like from the outside looking in, you know, you have to be able to, number one, like, find access to a hockey rink, right? And if I'm a an African-American kid in, in the inner city in D.C., right, I, I'm from the DMV area, right? I, I don't even know of any hockey rinks. I know there are ice skating rinks, but they weren't, they were even, like, kind of throw out and, like, you know, they yeah. weren't in the inner cities, right? You couldn't just get to a hockey rink, you know, to 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 be able to go and, and practice hockey. Um, you gotta pay for pads and equipment and sticks and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's pretty expensive, you know. So from a systemic standpoint, right? Like what are some things that you think have to get done in order to allow, you know, more black people to kind of have access to the sport of hockey and maybe try to get it, you know, to become a more accessible game for for black people who may not be able to afford to afford to play. Yeah, like you said, hockey is super expensive. It's not like you can just pick up a basketball and go on a court or, you know, um, pick up uh, some cleats and throw a football around. Right. Um, so uh, in that sense, hockey is super expensive. It's it's hard to access to the the diverse communities that can't afford the sport um, and don't get to see representation in it. So, I mean, I, I think... Um, in, in regards to hockey, I think the accessibility needs to change. So, I mean, we give out scholarships and having these, these grassroots programs that allow BIPOC individuals to get into the sport um, and not be pushed out. Um, it's, it's equipment. I think a lot of that is, is, is the first thing is, Hey mom, I want to play hockey. And it's like, I can't afford all that equipment. Um, and I know, I mean, I know what my parents were paying when I was paying junior. And I mean, it, it, in that sense, it's, it's so expensive and it's, it's so gate kept in, in that regard. So we need to see those grassroots programs being implemented. And, and once we see that, I mean, it, it's, it all starts there. Um, I, I think that that's where we, we build the game, build the diversity in the sport and are able to, um, have more representation come through the game. Well, that's well said, man. I hope that we can get that done. You know what I'm saying? That would be scary <laughs> once you see people in the trenches of D.C. getting out there on them hockey skates. You know what I'm saying? That would be scary. Hours right? Say. Uh, <laughs> but you saying both on skates? Like, what? Man, that's a – can you imagine LeBron playing hockey like a young a – young <laughs> Right? <laughs> Yo, it was so funny because I, um, I'm sure as you know, man, like, just as athletes, we all got super close just being athletes, right? But then furthermore – at Quinnipiac during summer, we always used to have, you know, basketball workouts in the summertime. So it would be yeah. us, the ice hockey team, in the summertime. That's how I got cool with Greco and Emma Woods and Katie Tabin. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We were, literally, it would be the men's and women's basketball team and men's and women's ice hockey. Like, that was it on summer. summer yeah. So I got a bunch of friends that play hockey, man. I was always joking with A-M-A. Tell Rand, Rand Peckner was the coach of the men's hockey team at Quinnipiac. Like, yo, tell Rand, put me in. He's like, yo, bro. You be you be killer on the ice, like yo. You, you <laughs> standing in front of the net as a defenseman, like knocking up just hitting people. I'm like yo, you know what I'm saying? Right? That crazy, that could be crazy. So they're, I'm just see. That's what I think. I think they're just. I'm convinced they're not ready for us. Like oh, man, that's Ooh, all. Crazy, <laughs> crazy. Hey, man, don't worry, yo. Hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make some progress. You know, I know it's gonna happen for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've been able to build quite a brand for yourself, man. We already talked about your work with Nike and. 
you know, I've seen on your Instagram, you're working with, you know, at Atleta and you got a bunch of endorsements. You work with Uninterrupted. Um, what advice would you have for athletes that's trying to brand themselves and maybe, you know, work with some of these brands that you've been able to work with and um, things like that? Because obviously, you know, I think that's a big part of just the, the professional game as well. You know, being able to not only play your game at a high level, but, you know, market yourself and, and bring in other streams of income and things like that. So, you know, yeah. what advice do you have for other athletes that, that, that are trying to brand themselves and, you know, work with some of the companies that you've been able to work with? Yeah, I, I think I think be yourself is the biggest thing that I, I mean, as corny as it may sound, I think social media is so fake nowadays um, and there's so many easy ways to edit things and and be ways that you're not yourself. Um, so I think number one is, is to be yourself. Um, and I think that as long as you're yourself, the brand kind of comes to you. Um, I mean, I, I think as long as you're making original content and um, making things that are close to you and, and what you believe in, um, those are the followers you want. Those are the community around you that you want. So um, I, I think being authentic is, is a huge piece of that. Um, and I, and that's a lot of the way that I've, I've built my brand. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think that I obviously had the luxury of building my, my brand, um, obviously with having a school like Yale behind me and um, being, being drafted high in, in the draft or um, having those networking connections from school and from Toronto or whatever it may be. But um, you can build your brand wherever you go. Uh, and I, I think my biggest piece of advice is just to be authentic to who you are. <laughs> Facts. You know what I'm saying? I think that's a, that's a big gem. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody can't <laughs> Everybody can't be ghost status, you know what I'm saying? Top draft, you know what I'm saying? Everybody, you know what I'm saying? So get y'all notepads out, you know what I'm saying? Um, but we're getting to the home stretch here. Before we get into some fun, some fun questions uh, to, to end out, man, I want to ask you one, one more question that kind of will bring it all full circle. Um, looking back on everything you know now, everything you've experienced, um, if you could tell 10-year-old Soroya or 12-year-old Soroya one thing, mm. what would it be? <laughs> um I mean I I think it would just be to to be confident um I think that I growing up I always lacked so much confidence um despite what others around me thought um whether it was me getting good grades in school or um you know like being the best on the team or whatever I wasn't always confident in myself so I I think in in that sense it was um just to to tell myself to be confident in who I am and what I do um, and and don't let anybody tell you differently. Just be confidently you. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So before we get about it here, I got some quick hitters for you. You know what I'm saying? Some, right. some fun little questions that I think uh, the viewers will enjoy. Also, I want to know, too. The first question, you know, I can't go any other direction but this, you know. Have you ever lost a tooth playing hockey? No, I have not. <laughs> I feel like I see so many hockey players with the gap. It's like, yo, but they, it's like a badge of honor. Can you explain that to me real quick? Like, what is it yeah. about just having no teeth or just missing teeth? It's like, yeah, man, you know, you gotta explain that to me in, in the hockey hockey mindset for me. Because I, oh I man, I mean, I I play with a with a cage. And the guys play with a visor. So, I mean, a couple years ago, they asked us in the pro league if we wanted to wear visors. But at that point, we still didn't have dental coverage. So it was just like, no. But honestly, there's no thrill in having no teeth on the female side. I think it's just the men that get a thrill out of getting their teeth knocked out. <laughs> okay, okay. Wonderful, wonderful. Right, um, favorite spot to go out in New Haven back in your Yale days? Ooh, like go to dinner? 
No, like go out if you're gonna have a party, party, party. Oh, I've been there too. We'll go both. Let's give give us both. Give us both. Okay, okay. Well, if I'm going over dinner, I'm pro. I love Barcelona. That's just beside the Omni. Uh, that's my that's my go to spot. Um, and my go to party spot was Zeta Basement. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks. Hey, a lot of I had a wonderful a lot of nights in there, man. Zeta side. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot of wild nights, man. Mm. Man, what a time that, was, that was my go-to spot. It was, it was Zeta Basement to late night Popeyes. It was great. Listen, that Popeyes was jumping late night. Popeyes right? and Yorkside Pizza was my two favorite late night spots. Yeah. Oh yeah, Yorkside Chicken Tenders slap. Yo, it was crazy. <laughs> Me and my LBs, um, Drew and Xavier, like we will be late night, and then uh, see y'all had a good at Yale. If you yeah. know, for the yearlies, snack pass. You remember snack pass? Yeah, yeah we had snack, snack pass. Snack pass was elite. I came to Yale. I'm like, <laughs> we're getting discounts. We're going to tropical smoothie, getting the, oh, man. Oh, yeah, for it was, sure. <laughs> it was elite. It was elite, man. Um, okay, favorite New Haven pizza spot? Uh, brick oven. Mm, great choice. Great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Um. Favorite moment in the QU Yale ice hockey rivalry? Oh, um, when my team beat QPAC in the Nutmeg Classic, it's the tournament, the Connecticut tournament, and I scored from the from like center ice oh. on on uh, on Abby Ives just because oh. she wasn't she wasn't paying attention in the net, so I scored. But other than that. Playing QPAC was always a tough game. I'll I'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, all right, last one, last one. Favorite, favorite uh Quinnipiac Bobcat teammate that you have now. <laughs> 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 putting, you, putting, putting you on first three. You is there on. is there an option to like drink on that one or something? I've got like you six what? of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Okay, okay. Favorite, I'll, I'll give you this favorite, favorite or funniest, funniest story, funniest moment that you've had with the uh, a QPAC teammate. Jeez, I mean they're they're like a there's they're like a crew on the team now. So um, I mean honestly, it's probably just listening to all their their inside jokes. I mean Emma Greco and uh, and Emma Woods always get going. So the the Emmas are always going crazy. So <laughs> as you, as you would know. So <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I feel like I'm gonna never forget about Emma Gregor because we have a, a wild when you see Emma, right? Ask her about ask her about the court. We had a we had a, a Quinnipiac men's and women's ice hockey uh court intervention in the summertime. Damn. Ask her about that. <laughs> and I'm sure she <laughs> remember. That might have been top five QU summer school moments in, in history. I'm all, I can't share the story on here, but that was top five. <laughs> I'm sure she'll share the story with you. Uh, <laughs> um this has been great man this is this has been a wonderful conversation um you know i've i've learned a lot just from listening to you on here and you know before i i i get on get us uh on out of here man i want to i always ask one final question to our guests and that is who is one person you think we should have on the show um and whoever you say you have to give us the little hockey assist Actually, you know, hockey assist is, is two, is two. So you gotta give us the assist on uh on 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 helping us get them get them on here. So who's the person that you think would be good? And it, it could be an athlete, non-athlete, it could be somebody who think is doing some some dope work, um, anything like that. Uh, 
who, who would that person be? Um, have you had Ariel on? Have not, have not. I'm going to go and give Ariel Chavron the assist. I think that's a girl you need to have on. Um, she's a good voice, good energy always. So head, okay. head, hats off to Ares. <laughs> hey, listen, all right. We're coming for you, Ariel. Don't worry, I'm going to be hitting you up soon for sure. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's great. And like I said, I mean, I've, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been awesome. Um, I've learned a lot. I think, you know, I, I hope the viewers learned a lot as well. Um, I definitely want to first and foremost, give you your flowers, man, because you're doing a bunch of wonderful things in this space. Um, and we've talked about for the last hour. And I think that there are a bunch of people who are going to be better off, you know, because of you, all the girls that are in your mentorship program, um, anybody who may be in a similar position to where they're fighting against adversity, you know, battling with, with, with racism in their sport. Um, I definitely want to let, let you know that you're doing amazing work and um, doesn't go unnoticed. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely want to let you know that we appreciate you taking time out of your day at the practices. It's 9 p.m. over there on the East Coast. It's late, so I'm sure you're tired. So um, definitely want to say thank you for coming on, um, and, we, and we we really appreciate it. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's no been doubt. it's been great. <laughs> No doubt, no doubt. We'll have to we'll have to catch up again in a couple of years, man. When you're when you got your next Nike billboard, so <laughs> this time you'll you'll be able to see it for yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> for sure. All righty, guys. This has been another episode of the What's in Your Bag podcast presented by Bet Online. Again, man, if you've sat through this whole interview by now, clearly you you're enjoying the conversation. So make sure you guys subscribe below, give us a thumbs up, tell a friend, tell a friend. It goes a long way. This is going to be my guy, Pull Up Tay, on the outro. Till next time, folks. Peace. Suave. 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 I've been in my bag for a while, I'm invincible Story of a young boss, grinding shit critical Calling on my bros one time, cause you special I had some hood dreams and right rounds for my mentor Every target that I shoot is on point like a pencil Different route, change relationships, I'm so sorry Came up from the trenches and I made it, I say hardly now Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show And giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.